0: Morning folks. Welcome. Uh, if you're a student, you're dismissed to go and be with Miss Francis or Mr. Larry or Miss Sherry uh, and Miss Morgan and whoever. Uh, yeah, if you're a youth, you, you stay here. I know that. Okay. If you're a youth, you stay in here today. Okay. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, welcome. Glad you're here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior especially those of you that are uh, visiting with us. Uh, We're so happy you're here. And I pray the Lord will make you feel welcome and loved and that you'll feel His presence. Um, We sang that song, uh, I want to see you. Lord, I want to see you. And then Chris prayed, Lord, we want to hear from you. And I was thinking, uh, made me think of that, that uh, can almost tell you the chapter, but anyway, in Acts, where um, Cornelius has sent for Peter, he sent for Peter, and Cornelius is a Roman soldier, and he sends for Peter, and Peter comes to him, and when Peter walks in, Cornelius says, "Thank you for coming. I've gathered my family and friends together, and we're waiting here." To hear the word that God has for us through you. We're waiting here for God to speak to us. But we're waiting here to hear the word that the Lord has for us through you. And um, I just wonder if that's what we are here for this morning. If that's why we came. Do we come Because we really do want to hear a word from the Lord. Um, I hope it is. I hope that's why we're here. Um, Let me pray for us one more time. Father, I ask you as sincerely as I know how to please open our eyes and our ears. And soften our hearts. And put within us. That desire that Cornelius had. To hear a word from you. And I pray that. You would honor that desire. And that we would receive. That word from you. And it would go down deep in our hearts. And impact us profoundly. And I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Um. Family resemblances are pretty amazing, aren't they? Uh, watching y'all, those of you that have got little children, uh, it, it tickles the fire out of me to see your children resemble you, imitate you, act like you, become like you. It's It's an amazing thing. We... We truly are, in various ways, chips off the old block. Um, You know, we can try as diligently as we want to to be unique and different uh, Roots have an incredibly powerful and profound impact upon who we are and how we live. Uh, Saying that, for some of you, like my wife... She banks on that. She rejoices in being reminded that her mom and dad her whole life and even now they're influencing her. That their DNA and their roots are still getting into her. She just loves that. Some of us are excited to hear that. Some of us accept it. Some of us deny it. I am nothing like my dad and mom. And then some of us spend their lives fighting it. <laughs> I, will, I will defeat that and, and change that. But at the end of the day, I think it's significant. I'll say that. Good or bad, it's significant that we reflect our families. The families that we come from. With that in mind, I've been thinking all week about two verses of scripture that I'll mention this week out of Isaiah 54, and then one verse that I'll mention to you today. Uh, just these two verses, God has been speaking to me all week long in some really significant ways, and I sort of built the, the, our message, our lesson today around these two verses. The first one's in Isaiah 54, where Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah, Though the mountains and the hills be shaken and removed, yet my unfailing love and my covenant of peace will never be shaken and never be removed from you. Now I want to read that one more time. I want you to hear that. God says, uh, well, let me go and tell you who he's talking. He is talking to A- God is reminding the people of God through Isaiah about the covenant that God made with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. That's who God's talking to. And this is what God says. Though the mountains and the hills be shaken and removed, yet my unfailing love and my covenant of peace will never be shaken and never be removed from you. And that's, he's talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham, I said. God made a covenant of love and peace with Abraham and his descendants. And he says that that covenant of love and peace will never be removed. It will will last forever. So my question is, my question that I've been asking myself all week is this. Am I included in that covenant? I believe that God made that covenant with Abraham. I believe it with everything in my being. I believe that God made an everlasting covenant of love and peace with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. But the important question for me personally is am I included in that covenant of unfailing love and peace? The other verse that I've been thinking about all week is in Luke 19. Y'all know this story very well. It's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree and wanted to see Jesus. Jesus comes by. He's the most hated man in town. And dang, if the Son of God doesn't walk under this tree, look up and say, Zacchaeus, come down here right now. I got big plans for you, and they include me and you it's having dinner tonight, and I'm going to build a love relationship with you. And Zacchaeus says, Great! I would like that. I want to get involved in that. I want to accept that offer, Jesus. And then the Bible says that the people of the town grumbled that Jesus would show that man love. And then this is what Jesus says in response to their grumbling. Salvation has come to this house today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house today. Why? Because this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus saw a resemblance, a family resemblance in the life of Zacchaeus that he connected back to Abraham. I can see in you your dad. I can you, You're a son of Abraham. I can see the family connection. I can see the, the resemblance. I can, there is Abraham DNA flowing through you. I can see it. That's what Jesus was saying. This man, Zacchaeus, Was a son of Abraham. So, my question for myself all week has been Larry, would Jesus say that about you? Would Jesus say to people that are grumbling about God showing me kindness, would Jesus say, He's a true son of Abraham? The very fact that Jesus uses the phrase true son of Abraham implies that there are false sons of Abraham, right? You can't if everybody was a true son of Abraham, then then it, the the statement wouldn't make any sense. There would be no meaning in saying, "Oh, you're a true son of Abraham" if everybody's a true son. But the very fact that I say you're a true son of Abraham means that there are other people that are is there a family resemblance to Abraham in my life? Do Abraham and I share common DNA? I think that is an incredibly significant question that the Gospels and the Epistles regularly challenge us to ask ourselves. Jesus addresses this even more in your face, if you will, in John chapter 8. Listen, the first phrase is the, is the main part. Don't miss it, okay? John 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him. Jesus said to the people who believed in Him. He's not talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Moabites, or the Philistines, or the whoever else you might put in. He's talking to people who believe in Him. Now, you might say, well, what kind of believing? Well, there, that's, there, there you go. And That's a good question. That's a thinking question. Um, who, what kind of believing did these people have and we could talk about it another day but that's a, that's a good question but this is what he says Jesus said to the people who believed in him you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free but we are children of Abraham they said We have never been slaves to anyone. So what do you mean you'll be set free? Now that is a remarkable statement. The people that are responding to Jesus, when when they hear Him say, I can set you free, they say, we have never been slaves to anybody. What about these Roman soldiers surrounding us? Uh, with spears and shields and swords? What about these Roman tax collectors like Zacchaeus who are taking big chunks of your money and sending it back to the home office in Rome? Y'all just doing that voluntarily because you like them? Y'all just think they're good people and so you... uh, you, No, no, no. You're you're slaves today. And notice they say, we've never been slaves. You weren't slaves in Egypt? You weren't slaves to the nations that surrounded you during the Judges period. You weren't slaves to the Syrians. You weren't slaves to the Assyrians. You weren't slaves to the Babylonians. You weren't slaves to the Medes and the Persians. You weren't slaves to the uh, Greeks. And you weren't slaves to the Romans. Is that right? You as a race have been slaves more than you've been free. But in their minds, we've never been slaves. Just like us. (laughs) You might think, well, what knuckleheads? How How can they live in denial of what is true? How can they live in denial of what is true? Wrong question. Right question is, Larry, how can you live in denial of what is true? Larry, you're a slave to your anger. You're a slave to your lust? You slave to your slave to your greed, do you slave to your uh, prejudice? Oh no, I've never been enslaved to anything. Is that right? And go on. We've never been slaves to anyone. So what do you mean you'll set us free? And Jesus replied, "I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin." A slave isn't a permanent part of the family, but a son is a permanent part of the family. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. And you could, the implication is, if the son sets you free from being a slave, he doesn't just set you free from being a slave, he sets you free by placing you in the family. Yes, I know you are children of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there is no room in your hearts for my words. I'm telling you what I've heard from my father. But you're following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they said. No, (laughs) no, Jesus said, or Jesus replied, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow His example. If I am a child of Abraham, Jesus says that that family likeness, that family heritage, that family DNA, that family resemblance... Will be there. When I read these words, I take pause. As I evaluate my life, who do I resemble? Who do I resemble more, should I say? Jesus is saying here that some people think they are Abraham's children but they are not. They're not true sons of Abraham. And they are not the recipients or the beneficiaries of the covenant of unfailing love and peace that God promised to Abraham. They're not a part of this covenant that Abraham, that God made with Abraham. My question is, am I? Is am I part of that covenant relationship of unfailing love and peace? And you might think, well, Larry, of course you are. You're a preacher. Of course you are. You're in church. Of course you are. You don't drink, dance, dip, or chew. And I really don't do those four things. Luckily, I picked four that I don't do. Um... uh, Uh, you know, there's a hundred others that I'll stay away from this morning, but those four, I'm I'm good. Uh, Larry, of course you're a part of that Abrahamic covenant. Of course you are a part of that unfailing love and peace covenant. Of course you are a son of Abraham. And yet in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about some people that one day will hear Jesus say, depart from me. And they'll say, "But Lord, we man, we're 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 worker bees. We're we're spiritual worker bees. We're spiritual uh, helpers. We work in the nursery and take up the Lord's supper and uh, 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 put money in the box and have lady bingo nights and and plan mission trips and go on mission trips and give money. Of course, man, we're we're we are children of Abraham." And they're going to hear Jesus say, depart from me because I never knew you. Depart from me because you don't have Abraham's DNA in your cells or Adam's or whatever they are. You don't have the family resemblance with the father of faith. Again, I say that Jesus is challenging us to evaluate our faith and to see if our faith is similar to Abraham's faith. Abraham. He's a remarkable man, isn't he? I find it significant that the very first verse in the New Testament. I mean... Matthew, first book, chapter one, first chapter, verse one, first verse, Matthew 1 1. What does it say? Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. For right out of the gate, boom, what's important? Let me tell you about Jesus. Well, what do you want to tell me that's important? Jesus was a son of Abraham. First thing, the the the, the I feel, I believe the Holy Spirit wanted people to know about Jesus is who his dads were, his significant dads, and one of the two that they that, that the Holy Spirit mentions is that Abraham. Jesus uh, it says exactly this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham. Abraham is mentioned 300 times in the Bible, 305, give or take. He's mentioned 66 times in the New Testament, give or take, 66, 67. And then he's mentioned 50 more times indirectly. I mean, his name is mentioned 66 times in the Bible. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 300 times in the Bible. 66 times in the New Testament by name directly. And then dozens and dozens and dozens of other times, it's talking about Abraham even though it doesn't mention his name. He's one of the three central figures in God's Old Testament redemption story. He, he is three, one of the three pillars along with Moses and David. Um, and what I find very significant, and I looked up, Lord have mercy. I can't tell you how many verses I spent all week looking up. But what, is, what stands out to me about Abraham and what I want you to hear me say today about Abraham is that when you read the writings of Jesus and when you read the writings of Paul and when you read the writings of James, all three of them say the same thing. If you want to understand what true faith looks like, Look at the life of Abraham. Abraham is the gold standard for real faith. What, what, what's faith? What does that mean? What does that look like? How does real faith work? Jesus, Paul, and James, all three say if you really want, if you really, if that's not just a, you know, a question you're asking just to sound churchy, uh, but if it's a real question, if you'll read the life of Abraham, you will learn what real faith is. Looks like. Paul says it this way in Romans 4: We will receive God's promise of eternal life if we have faith like Abraham's faith, for he is the father of all who believe. If you if you are in on this faith covenant that God has made with certain people. If you are you like Abraham's, you faith like Abraham because he's the father of all who believe. So, real quickly, what does Abraham's faith look like? What, what does it mean to have faith like Abraham? Well, I've got more things than we'll do today, but I want to give you some thoughts real quickly. And I beg you, listen, don't listen to me to God's words. Listen to my commentary. As much as you listen to God's words, listen to what God says about Abraham's faith. Okay? Number one, in Genesis 12, it says, Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot Went with him. We could spend two weeks on that. But the the main thing that I want you to hear there. Is it says that Abraham went where the Lord told him. God spoke to Abraham. I don't want to confuse. I don't want to put doubt. I don't want to make things less clear for you. The Bible presents a God who speaks. His very name. What's what's Jesus' name? The Word. God. The God of the Bible. The God of the Old Testament spoke. I believe the same God of the New Testament. He spoke. He spoke. God speaks to people. What that looks like. How that works works. You know, is it audible? Is it in your heart? I'll let y'all work that out. That's a, that's a whole other thing. I'm just telling you that the Bible presents a consistent narrative from Adam to the end of John's writings and revelation of a God who spoke to people. And when God spoke to people... They knew it was God, and they knew what He was saying. I defy you to show me an example where that's not true. My dad was my dad, <laughs> and those of you that knew him, he was his own dude. Um, you know, he wasn't going to let you shove him into a mold by anybody's standards. But if you talk to my dad for any amount of time, somewhere in all that carrying on mess, he would weave into his story something to the effect that my wife Sally drugged me to church. You know, but one day in church at Whitehaven Assembly of God, when I was around 50, 45, I don't know exactly when it was, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. Was it audible, Larry? That doesn't matter. God spoke to me. How did it happen? Doesn't matter. God spoke to me and He showed me that I needed Him in my life. And that He had died on the cross for my sins. And He wanted to be my Savior. And He wanted to adopt me into my family. Into His family. And my life was different ever since. God came to Abraham one day, the Bible says, and he spoke to Abraham, and Abraham knew it was God, he knew what God was saying, and he embraced God's message to him, his message of love, his message of of conviction of sin. His message of you need me in your life. I love you. I have a great plan for you. And Abraham heard that and embraced that. Heard God. God Abraham heard God speak. I was five and in VBS. I was ten at camp. I was... 30, driving down the highway. I was 18 laying in bed one night. And God spoke to me and said, Larry, I want, I claim you. I want to be in your life. I love you. I died for you. Would you receive me? And I'm telling you, God spoke to me and it made all the difference in the world. Abraham's faith was based upon his confidence that there was a moment when God spoke to him. Number two, same chapter, Genesis 12. What did God say to him? What was God's word to him? Here's God's word. Abraham, leave your country and your family and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Abraham's faith was based upon leaving so that he could go. You can't leave, you can't follow I should say, you can't follow without leaving. Part of embracing something, part of taking this, You have to let go of something. If your hands are full and somebody offers you something to gain what they're offering, means you have to let go of what you have. In that context, what God was saying is Abraham, you got to let go of your family's false gods and you got to follow me. I got to become your God. I can't grasp that which is new without releasing. That which is old. Have I done that? Have I emotionally, relationally, spiritually, you fill in the blank, but has there been this moment where I released my control, my gods, my priorities, bless you, my whatever it is, that I value, have I released that so that I could gain that which God is offering. Jesus' invitation was always to people, release what you've been clinging to so that I can give you what I know you want better, want more. Jesus always gave an invitation to people that were empty. Empty. The sick, the blind, the hungry, the thirsty, the tired, the enslaved. There's got to be this laying down of that which is less so that I can gain that which is more. His faith was based upon that. Number three, Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham obeyed when God called him to go out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went not knowing where he was going. I had uh, the privilege of having coffee last week with a precious, precious lady. And in our conversation, one of the things that she mentioned, she said, Larry, I'm just to get to a place of being afraid. I I would like to get to a place where I'm not fearful, where I'm not afraid. And I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Sorry. I think cocaine and old charter can help you with that. I don't do either one of those, so I don't know, but I don't have anything to offer you that will help you not be afraid. You might think, well, oh, and the God of the Bible, man, isn't that, that's that. No, no, no. I would challenge you to read the lives of any of God's followers in the Bible. Hey, Moses, Joshua, Daniel, David, uh, Ruth, Esther, you followed God, didn't you? Yeah. Were you afraid a lot? Oh, terrified. God was constantly bringing me into things that were terrifying. In fact, the only unterrifying place that I could think of was not following God. Following God is always scary. Following God is always risky. Following God always demands that I step into incredibly uncomfortable situations that are uncertain. Proverbs chapter 3 says that the path of the godly is like the early morning sun shining brighter and brighter you ever been out hunting in the woods? It's not really light yet. Kim, you really hadn't been up before 10 ever. So I don't, you wouldn't know this. But anyway, there's a time when the sun comes up. And it's real dark outside. And when the sun's first coming up, all you can see is just right in front of you. That's the way God leads. He doesn't show you very far down the road. I'd like to know the whole... God, I appreciate your offer. I think I understand what you're offering me. Thanks for, thanks for making it available to me. I'd like to know the long... Ter- like I tell my lady at UBS with our investments, what's the long-term payoff? What's the long-term plan? What's this going to look like long-term? And Brenda Vanderslice has to tell me, God doesn't. God doesn't. And not only does he not have to, he doesn't. He just, today is enough. I will reveal to you what's happening today. You focus on today and leave tomorrow alone. Number four, Matthew 3. Jesus says, don't think. Or don't be presumptuous is really the wording, but don't think we're Abraham, uh, we have Abraham as our father. For God is able to make children for Abraham out of rocks. Some Christians get all hung up about this Jewish, Gentile, you know, God has special plans for the Jews and. Uh, you know, and the Old Testament was written just for the Jews, and uh, uh, y'all can spend all day talking about all that silliness. Let me just tell you something. If you read the New Testament carefully, the readers of the New Testament were convinced that God wrote the Old Testament for them. And the readers of the New Testament were convinced that everything that God promised The Old Testament saints, he was come back and see me. You disagree with me? Read the New Testament two or three times through, come back and see me. Matthew chapter 8 says, Many will come from the east and the west and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in God's kingdom, while the sons of the kingdom, the Jews, will go out into a place of darkness, pain, and anguish. Jesus was creating something new where there was no national divisions, no Gentile and Jew, no male and female, no rich and poor, no educated and uneducated. He was creating a new kingdom of people and invites all to be a part of it, Jew and Gentile. Number five, Genesis 15 Galatians three and James 2 all quote the same verse. That's remarkable that Genesis 15, first book in the Bible, Paul in Galatians three, and then James in chapter two of his book, his epistle, it says, "Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness." Abraham gained participation in God's covenant of unfailing love and peace because of his willingness to put his faith in God's promise of future provision. Abraham inherited God's righteousness because Abraham was willing to put his faith in God's promise of future provision. Well, oh God, Jesus hadn't died yet. Uh, they haven't even invented a cross yet. God, there's no crucifixion. There's no Roman Empire. There's no Virgin Mary. There's no, God, how are you going to take care of my future? God said, Abraham, I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. You know, that's all God tells me in YouTube. But God, but God, but God, but God, but God. I'm going to take care of you. Abraham, there will be a day when I will take care of the son, the Virgin Mary, the cross, the Roman Empire. It'll all be taken care of. But you're going to get in on what I'm going to do. Now you and I get in on what God has done. We're just looking backwards. Abraham had to look forward. It's still looking. It's still looking. Whether you're looking backwards or forwards, we're still looking. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Quickly. Genesis chapter 13. I don't have time to read it, but you know the story. Abraham and his nephew Lot go to the promised land and Uh, They get so blessed that Abraham says, Lot, we got too much going on. We're going to have to separate. And remarkably, everything that was there, as far as I could see, everything was Abraham's. He owned everything. Lot owned nothing. Lot was nothing. Abraham had owned everything. And dang if Abraham didn't say, Lot, we need to divide. And you go one way, I'll go the other you pick first. Me pick first? Abraham, you're the older. You're the, they're the leader. You're the, Everything's really yours. And Abraham said, I, yes. You pick first. Abraham's faith led him to a place where he was convinced that God would protect him, provide for him, Defend him and repay him better than he could do himself, and so he let what? Take that, take that. I don't care. God is going to take care of me. I find that so incredible. Abraham actually believed what Deuteronomy chapter 30 says and that is that the Lord takes great delight in prospering you. Does my faith, my confidence that the God of all provision and abundance will provide for me and if you sue me, you steal from me, you wrong me, you use me, you dirt, dirty deal me. I don't have to like it. I'm not, and I'm not saying I have to lay down and... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Abraham had a confidence that I don't have to live in anger and conniving and fear and deceit and ill will and grudges and I'm going to get you back. Because God's gonna, God is my source. My God God is my abundance. God will take care of me. My God delights in prospering me. And you can't stop that. You can't stop it. That's what Abraham's faith looked like. Number seven, Romans 4 says that though Abraham had no reason for hope, he kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had made him a promise. And Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and it brought glory to God. And he was fully convinced that God is able to do what He promises. The power of true faith is not the power To get what you want. The power of true faith is the ability on God to give you what's best. Oh, if I just had the power of faith, I could claim a million dollars. I could claim healing. I could claim my family would be fixed. And God says, How about the power to just wait on me? Just wait on me. And I promise you, one of the things that God's going to remind us someday is, there's no return counter in heaven. You know, like at Target after Christmas when you walk into Target and there's this line from here to Dyersburg of people waiting to retire and stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh. Do you know there's not a return counter in heaven? Nobody will ever go to heaven and go, God, I want to return the life you created for me. I'm not, I'm not satisfied. It's wrong fit, wrong color, wrong size. Everybody will go in and say, Dad, come it. Now I see. Oh, it was perfect. And what's coming is even more perfect. Hebrews 11 By faith, Abraham willingly gave up his son Isaac, for he had received God's promise. I'd like to spend all day there, but we're stopping. I would just say that Abraham's faith gave him the ability to treasure God above all the treasures of this earth. Abraham received God's promise and Abraham treasured the promises of God More than the things on earth that he treasured the most. Is that true of me? Does my faith cause me to treasure that which I cannot lose. More than I treasure the things that I value the most on this earth. I think what that means is that God was not, in Abraham's faith, God was not a means to an end. Oh, God, I love you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to read my Bible and pray and go to church. Why? Because I want my kids to turn out good. I want my, God, I'll follow you because you are my means to a happy life. Is God our means? Is God our source? Or is God the treasure? David said that it's better is one day in God's house than a thousand days in the Riviera. That in your presence there is fullness of joy. Does my faith reflect that? Okay, we gotta end. Faith is dynamic, faith is fluid, faith is always. Faith isn't a, a rock, if you will. It's more fluid. It's more liquid. It's, uh, there are days when my faith is stronger and there's days when my faith is not as strong. Some days I'm strong in faith. Sometimes I'm, some days I'm weak in faith. But God is at work building my faith, increasing my faith, strengthening my faith. And as it grows and strengthens and builds are these qualities becoming manifest just like Nancy's daughters were less like you when they were six months old than when they were six years old. Than when they were 12 years old and 18 years old. And now, we, we grow into our family's likeness. We grow into Abraham's likeness if we are children of Abraham. Are we growing in the likeness of Abraham's faith? It's a real question. It's not a hypothetical question. It's a real question. It's a question I've been struggling with all week. I want you to struggle with it too. I want you to come out on the other end going, yes, as far developing in my life and others that I see these things developing in my life and others see these things developing in my life. Or no. What you're talking about today, Larry, is gibberish. It's gobbledygook. I have no idea what you're talking about. Could we go to lunch and talk about it? I'd love to. I'd love to. Um... Austin, you and Cleo want to come help me? We're going to take the Lord's Supper. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that God made Christ who never sinned to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. God, what's this provision going to be like that's going to take care of me in my future, in my forever? And God said, Abraham, I've got a plan. That was God's plan. God made Christ to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. If you believe that, if that is the, the reality of your life, Christ is my righteousness. My faith is in Him. Then I want you to come and eat bread which represents His precious broken body. And I want you to come and drink wine that's purple or juice that's yellow which represents His his precious blood. And just rejoice that God has given you faith to believe that He has taken care of your sin and adopted you into His family. You come as God gives you leading. There will be prayer on my right and my left by the windows. If you need prayer, please come and let somebody pray for you. They would love to do that.